there's a calling for all of us. I know that every human being has value and purpose, and the real work of our lives is to become aware and awakened and to answer that call. Okay, actually, I didn't really come up with that. Oprah Winfrey did, but I do agree with her. And while Oprah may be totally right, though, she does make it sound a little bit simple. And in reality, I think that the idea of having a calling makes sense, but acting on it is just a lot more complicated. Now, how do we know when a calling happens? And what do we do when we discover it? What happens when you can't figure out what it is? Actually, callings are more than goals or plans or even dreams. They're like so much bigger than that, which makes it scary, makes it weird. It's like callings make your heart and mind light up and they're things that you just want to be a part of, even if you don't get a direct payout from it, or if you don't see the final results even in your own lifetime, or you may not have a lot of skills to contribute toward it, but you just feel this compulsion, this urge. It's like the purpose for your existence. And uh, oftentimes... You know, it's what all the accumulated experiences in your life are invisibly directing you toward if you are are paying attention. And even if it takes time to discover it, like Oprah will tell you, and so will Lao Tzu, it's always in there waiting to be heard if you can make time to listen for it. Now, it makes sense that it actually could take quite a bit of our lives before we're able to hear it because, you know, again, callings are not necessarily practical. They're not even close to practical most of the time, which demands a ton of risk on our part. Now, when we're young, we have big ideas. We want to be astronauts, go to the moon. We're daredevils. We're kind of fearless, which makes us a little dangerous. But, you know, we may want to rescue every stray dog. We just have these, like, boundless passion and ideas. And the seeds of calling may well be within us at that age, but we're kind of too young to know what to do about it. Nobody would take us really seriously if we were expressing it. We don't even really know that having a calling is a thing at that age. But by middle school, however, we're kind of coming into this larger understanding of the world, and we're starting to understand ourselves more as individuals. In my opinion, I think this is the greatest, most ripe time in the minds of humans because we don't overthink. We don't have these negative voices trying to silence our optimism. Our ideas are fresh. We're openly innovative. We don't say, oh, that'll never work because we're too young to be practical. It's great. Um, Callings begin to form, although kids don't have many opportunities nowadays for that quiet discovery that it takes to really listen and hear the calling, unless they're really, really focused and pay attention. And, you know, our callings at that age often get pushed to the back. We've got sports overload and homework and, you know, our brains and hormones are going in a million different directions and life seems so chaotic. Or at that age, We may hear the calling, but we don't always have the opportunities to get involved. We lack direct access a lot of the time. We need rides from our parents to do anything. We're kind of trapped. And uh, and sometimes we, we can just start to feel too young to push further anymore on those inner callings that we may be hearing and feeling, which, by the way, was why we created the GSD curriculum in the first place. It's for kids to actually have that access to the larger world and act on their passions or even incorporate small elements of their calling into their consciousness, which they can kind of grow into later. But anyway, by high school and college, we're becoming way more pragmatic. You know, we start to really silence the inner idea machine based on what seems rational. And, you know, while it's a time in life where kids are, you know, kind of paradoxically inundated with the question, like, what are your plans? What are you going to do for college? What are you going to be doing in the future? What's your, what are you going to major in? You know, these kind of seem like open-ended questions about what we really want and, and feel and think and stuff. But oftentimes are against the backdrop of our particular culture, which 
it act, those questions mean like with a caveat within reason it means like how will you earn a living and how will you measure up to the expectations of your society we weren't really literally saying like what do you want to do and what do you want to be we know there's like this little invisible caveat in there you know kind of again it silences that inner calling that little voice in there that's kind of trying to to pull you towards what your passion is because we're really being groomed for practicality and after college and in young adulthood you know hearing your calling can be like almost impossible because stability becomes essential we have bills to pay loans mortgages we have careers to chase and trophies to acquire and very few really even follow their original career dream path from what they were studying because they're veering off course to settle down they got to get stable and, and accumulating and measuring up against peers and pressing the adults who are in charge. And realistically, for every new acquisition, we have another load to bear and our callings, they continue to go unheard. Oftentimes, it's middle age when the excitement of acquisition starts to dim, the demands of careers and spouses and kids kind of slide into routine. And even though we're operating in, in fifth gear, we got all the bases covered this is often when we start to feel this inner nagging of our calling. It's like we don't necessarily stop to listen to it, but we know that there's something more for us and we're kind of feeling unfulfilled. So we seek life coaches and therapists and, you know, the desire for calling is it's really felt more than ever. But as we're still caring again for young children and aging parents, it's just really hard to stop and slow down and figure out what that is. And then, of course, once we hit our 50s and the black birthday party balloons and AARP cards come in the mail reminding us of our mortality. Sometimes we start to feel like maybe it's too late to find our calling. We're old now and, uh, you know, we're launching our kids into the world. And so sometimes, you know, we'll decide to just transfer our calling onto them as we think about retirement. It's like, we're too old to do this now, but you can do it for us. And we're going to tell you, you can be anything you want and, you know, find your passion and then we may, by the time they get into college, start putting those like restrictions on them about be practical without even realizing it. But in any case, by our 50s, we've achieved this lifetime of experience. We're kind of oftentimes at the apex of our career trajectory and the thought of beginning something new and like really, you know, sort of amorphous and limitless as discovering what your calling is. It, it requires more surrender and vulnerability than we are really ready for. And, um, and honestly, so much of this is my own life story. It was in 2008, while I was researching international children's charities, and I stumbled across this Children of Vietnam website, as well as several articles on its founder, this guy named Ben Wilson. And Ben's connection to Vietnam began a decade earlier for him. It was in 1995. He was at the twilight of a long corporate career at uh, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company. And they sent him to Vietnam to oversee the construction of a new manufacturing plant. He's in the last couple of years before retiring, definitely at the apex of his career. But when he wasn't working, he was touring the countryside, getting a firsthand view of Vietnam's poverty and the human cost of, you know, these people caught in the middle of a global power struggle. And while the chemical weapons and scorched earth policies of the Vietnam War may have been in America's rear view, one in four Vietnamese children under the age of five still suffered from malnutrition. And all around him, you can see the fallout of generations beyond this war. But beyond the lack of education, the poverty, the birth defects, and the emotional scars of all these people left in the fallout, Ben, he saw more than war victims and a lot more than a lucrative new tobacco market for sure. He, he could have just been 
biding his time until he he clocks out for good. But instead, he's getting drawn into the the stories of these Vietnamese people who are so friendly and hospitable, and he's watching them work hard to improve their lives, despite just these epic hardships. And he, you know, he really just tapped into this vast potential in the children of Vietnam, who, as he describes, despite being just skin and bones, they just you know were willing to do anything to improve their lives and make something of themselves if they had a chance. So by 1998, Ben returns to the U.S. for his retirement party. But instead of being happy, he's really anxious now. He's kind of nervous. He's worried. And his problem, as he says it, he was worried that he didn't play golf. So caught between this unfathomable freedom and the dread of inertia, Ben's worried that if he doesn't play golf, he's not going to have enough to keep him busy. And so to take no chances, no sooner did he blow out the candles on his cake than he decided to actually launch his own nonprofit organization. It's called the Children of Vietnam. So yeah, at 65 years old, while the rest of his peers are perfecting their chip shots out on the greens, Ben is now setting out on a mission to end poverty in Vietnam by investing in the education of its children. And I'm reading about him and my head is just kind of swirling around thinking about like not only Ben's calling, but the timeline of Ben's calling and kind of just sort of reflecting on his own life timeline. He's born in the Depression era 30s, growing up in a world where nothing's taken for granted and at home. Children are expected to work hard and contribute. You know, we all know, we've heard it. They trudged a mile to school every day in the snow, uphill both ways, you know, no shoes, whatever. And they tell the stories of their struggles, like, you know, like a soldier wears a badge of honor. And, you know, in his middle years, like this is actually when the the Vietnam War is in full swing. He's got a family. He's working his way up the corporate ladder. You know, it wasn't even until he was in his 60s that he's really traveling there to Vietnam to discover the human cost of this war. And uh, I mean, I know from my own experience that those moments when you are up close and personal with statistics and you're you're really with them, you're not even a tourist kind of popping in and out for a couple of weeks. But if you stay there for, you know, several months to a year, this stuff really becomes a part of you uh, and statistics now take on a whole new form. And so it, it makes sense now he's coming back from this experience as, a, as an, a senior citizen now and he's facing retirement. And now people face retirement in a lot of different ways. Some see it as a time to put their feet up. They've been counting down the clock until this moment. They're going to travel. They're going to get a, an RV. They're going to hit the links, whatever they're going to do. They're going to paint. They're going to quilt. But others, you know, feel this melancholy ache of, you know, being less needed in society. Maybe it's a blend of both sometimes. But a lot of times people feel that there's, they have more within them to contribute, but they have no idea where to start. And it makes sense because where do you begin something new when, you know, you don't even know how much time you have left. And especially, of course, in a society that lets us know in sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle ways that we aren't as useful. People expect us to start doing less. And uh, which can be very confusing. But in, in any case, with Ben, for the next 10 years, this guy just unleashes his energy on the world. And he didn't even really know how he was going to get started, but he just started. And little by little, he leaned into his vulnerability and said, you know, I may be old, but I'm, I'm doing this. And he partnered with local communities. He knew people out there, so he knew where to start. And this grassroots charity just starts taking root. And he is beginning to help these Vietnamese children achieve their potential in any way possible. Education, nutrition, housing. He's just getting all the irons in the fire. And I was like so intrigued. I was so intrigued by the work that he was doing. Of course, I'm intrigued by the fact that this other, you know, hyperactive workaholic type A 
such as myself, doesn't know the meaning of the word relax. Like, I want to see how this guy operates. And I was so curious to know more. So I reached out in an email and he invites me to tag along on an upcoming trip he has to Vietnam. So I consider it great once in a lifetime opportunity. I want to watch this in action, you know, and of course I'm kind of looking at this could be me. And uh, maybe, maybe when I'm 65, I'll head into something this deep. But um, anyway, from the moment that I met him at the Ho Chi Minh City Airport, he comes zooming in on this motorbike. He's got his little helmet strapped on. And I'm thinking, like, I love this. This I We are all in for a wild ride with this guy. And after a week, not even a week, five days of watching all of these programs in action. Now, he'd only been, this has been his first 10 years. He's 75 now. And I am not only awed, I'm just overwhelmed. In five days, we visited orphanages where Children of Vietnam Group provided new buildings, structural renovations, food programs, milk programs. We attended ribbon cutting ceremonies of this new built kindergartens in rural areas, hospitals where children of Vietnam provided medical assistance, limb prostheses, disabled children suffering blindness, missing limbs, struggling with deforming effects of Agent Orange. I mean, like the list just went on of all the needs and how he was just like one by one going after all of them. We visited after school programs, gave children shot at education, scholarships, tutoring programs. It just went on and on. And I remember standing outside this evening study group for these uh, two dozen Vietnamese teens are prepping for an upcoming exam and Ben wanted to check in on them. My jet lag and my exhaustion is getting the best of me. I'm, I'm clutching the wall trying to hold on to it just to keep myself standing up. The sky has worn me out. Everything's worn me out. But as I'm there, I'm kind of like in this sort of weird, delirious, dreamy state. And I'm just thinking about all the reasons and, you know, totally legit excuses of why somebody at his age would avoid listening to their calling. You know, some may see wide open spans of time as, you know, foreboding. Like, how much time do they have left? Like, why would you start a new endeavor? 65 isn't exactly 25. Uh, It's not at all like 25. But on the other hand, Ben has already gone through all the stages. He was too young to do anything. He was too idealistic. He went through his impractical stage, his broke stage, his stage where he has other people to support and look out for and children and, and the stage where he's too busy at work and too old and on and on. And there's something really cool about reaching that age where you now kind of can almost push past all that if you want to, if you're ready to. And he did. And now, as of today, at age 85, it's two decades after he started Children of Vietnam, Ben, he's still running the show. Hundreds more scholarships were awarded last year alone. Tutors employed, university careers launched, bicycles, books, backpacks, desks, soccer fields, clean water surgeries, microloans. But best of all, What is so cool in two decades, that first generation of children that were empowered by children of Vietnam, they're grown up and they are now breaking the cycle of poverty for the next. And that's what's cool about a calling, you know, for Ben Wilson, after 20 years of quote unquote retirement, actually now he's deciding it's time to stop slacking and up his game. Just in March, last month at 85 again, he led a group of cyclists on a three day, 100 mile bicycling fundraiser across Vietnam. His own grandkids are on the riding team trying to keep up with him. And I kind of have this picture of him with a, like a, you know, eat my dust bumper sticker as he heads off down the road. It's just this great vision of him. But Ben 
shows you that when you answer your calling, no matter when you do it, you break out of the box, you break out of the mold, and you break out of the expectation of society and show that not only 85 can be the new 25, but that really anything is possible. Oprah is right. <laughs>